As we come now before the very word of God, would you turn for the final time to the book of Genesis? We'll be in Genesis. Uh, We'll begin at the end of, of chapter 11 and cross just a bit into chapter 12. So, Genesis 11. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, we know and believe that your word is truth. So would you sanctify us in truth? Help us, me and all of us, to submit ourselves before your word to listen, to learn, and to love you. These are your things that you have given to us. Help us to be grateful that we would honor you by it. Guide us now by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Genesis in chapter 11. Uh, We'll pick up in verse 31 and then cross a few verses after into to chapter 12. So Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 31. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went out as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. This is the word of God. Now, this will be our last sermon in Genesis, at least for a long while for the foreseeable future. Uh, We're not ending here because the book's long and we just ran out of steam. It's not because we got tired or sick of these things. It has been our plan from the beginning of the beginning of Genesis to take up just these first 11 chapters. And in these first chapters of the Bible, we have been given a good sense of our own history. We've been shown through this book who we are, who we are as humans, where we've come from, how we began, and and what we've become. And yet we also know that Genesis is not just a book about man. It's a book about God. That from the very first words, it sets the tone, in the beginning, God created 
And God is, is the creator of, of all things. He's not just the maker of substance. He's the maker of blessing. And so just as God made the world good and he blessed all the earth in creation, so now, still here again, long after the fall, after sin and death has entered the world, still God determines to bless all the earth now through Abraham. And if we were to read on from here, we would see the unfolding of how God is going to continue that blessing. If we were to even read past Genesis, we would see how that blessing of Abraham is going to culminate in Jesus, who's called the offspring of Abraham, the one to whom all blessing will be extended. But we're not going to read on, at least not today. We're going to end our time in Genesis with this new beginning, with this new blessing in Abraham. And because we're ending here, Instead of taking the time to look forward at where this blessing is going to go, it would be good for us to take the opportunity to look backward and see where this blessing has come from. So our driving question today is this. Why does God bless Abraham in particular? Why does God bless Abraham in particular? What's at the root? What's at the foundation of the blessing? What's the headwaters of the river of blessing that's going to come? And this is an important question, well, for Abraham, but also really for all of us, because it helps us answer how we might be blessed by God. So let's just dive in and explore why does God bless Abraham? We might have a few theories. Let's start with one of those. We might think maybe Abraham is blessed because of his heritage, because of his family background. And right away I'll just say, no, that's not the reason. We talked uh, last week, if you were here, about the important place and significance of Abraham's line, his father, Terah, and all the fathers before him. All of that is still true. The Bible cares a lot about families and the impact of family lines and how that unfolds. I don't want to downplay that at all. And yet we know that family heritage is not the source of this particular blessing. When the Lord first calls Abraham here as part of the blessing, his first words to Abraham are to go from your country and your kindred. He's not blessed because of his family. He's to go out from his family, to separate from them. And the text here doesn't tell us exactly why the Lord uh, calls him to go out from his kindred and from his father's house, but it's likely because his family was full of idolatry. In fact, the only other thing we know about Abraham's immediate family 
You'd think we'd know tons. Abraham's an important guy. The only thing the Bible says about it is at the very end of the book of Joshua in chapter 24. And in those verses, we just hear a single verse that tells us Terah, the father of Abraham, lived beyond the Euphrates River and served other gods. Scholars say those other gods, because of his context, were probably, uh, Abraham's family were probably moon, moon worshipers. Abraham is not descended from some special holy family who has long worshipped the Lord. He comes from a family of pagans who would kneel before the glowing orb in the night sky. Even if Abraham were from a family who worshipped the true and only God, Yahweh, even if he were, that doesn't explain for us why Abraham is singled out for blessing. Abraham's just one of three brothers. Why aren't the others blessed in the same way that Abraham is? Or his father, Terah, is just one of other sons and daughters, and his father is just one of other sons and daughters. He's, his heritage is this massive family tree, but there's just one, Abraham, one bud on one twig on one branch of this huge tree, and this one bud is visit by, visited by God with this particular blessing. Why him? Why now? The source of the blessing cannot be just his heritage. It must go beyond that. So if it's not heritage, maybe we think Abram is blessed because of covenant. We know that word by now. We've heard it a good number of times. We know that covenant is a key component of God's interaction with man, that God, of his own will and purpose, has bound himself to mankind in covenant. That covenant promise uh, comes with particular terms and promises on, on each side. And, and we've already seen God make covenant with, with Adam. God's made covenant with Noah. And now he's making covenant with Abraham. The covenant of God secures blessing with God because God's faithful to keep his promises. It secures blessing. It plays part in the blessing. But covenant is not at the root of the blessing. You know, the existence of God's covenant here still doesn't explain to us why God would make the covenant with Abraham and not with, say, his nephew Lot or his brother Nahor or his father Terah or, for that matter, with the Philistines or the, the Amorites or the Egyptians. You know, it's not as if in this scene God's got one of those big triangles that hangs outside of his house. Did you have one of those? Ding-ling-ling for dinner. You know, you ring one of those. God's ringing this big triangle going, hey, I got big blessings over here. Come and get it, everybody. Come on in. There are times when God does ring out a universal call in some ways, but that's not what's happening here. God here makes a particular visit to Abraham and then makes covenant with him. The deeper source of the blessing goes beyond covenant. Okay, so if it's not, the source isn't his heritage. If the source isn't just the covenant, maybe the source of the blessing is because of Abram's obedience. No, that's not the root either. You know, we know obedience to God matters. 
very much. The Lord expects obedience, calls for obedience from us. It's not as if God says to Abram, go, and then wants him to turn hightail in the opposite direction like Jonah did, or to sit still and make excuses like Moses did when he was sent to Pharaoh. He expects Abram to obey, to obey his word and go, and Abram does. He's obedient in some way, at least at the beginning, but from hereafter, if we were to follow, Abram's obedience is at best inconsistent. He makes all sorts of bad decisions, falls off certain cliffs, you know. He, he, Abram sins just like the rest of us. He does still have obedience in some ways when Abram is called to sacrifice his only son Isaac, the promised son, the child of the covenant. Abraham shows he is willing to do that. He's stopped by God before he does, but he shows he's willing to obey. And the Lord there says, Abram, in your offspring shall all the earth be blessed because you obeyed me. Because you obeyed. So obedience, just like with covenant, still matters. It's still connected with blessing. It still plays part in blessing. But obedience is not at the root of blessing. There are, there are whole chapters of the Bible, especially in the New Testament, Romans 4 is one, that talk about how obedience cannot stand by itself. It doesn't have its own two legs. True obedience to God has to stand on something else. Do you know what true obedience has to stand upon? Faith. Belief in God. Which is why we hear the repeated refrain in regard to Abraham, that Abraham believed the Lord. And this was counted to him as righteousness. And that idea is carried through the Bible, the priority, the previousness of faith. So we hear in Romans that Abraham had faith in God before he received the covenant and the sign of the covenant. That Abraham is, is blessed not because of his works of the law, but because he was a man of faith. And Hebrews puts it most concisely when, when it says, by faith Abraham obeyed. By faith Abraham obeyed. That is, faith must come first. It is faith that makes it possible to even have any sort of obedience. That's true of a Christian too, by the way. We are, we are blessed. We are saved by God, not because of our own works of obedience that stand on their own, but because of faith, that we, that we put trust in the work of Jesus Christ for us. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. So at this point, some of us might go, aha, we, here we found it. The foundation of the blessing of God, it's got to be faith. Is it faith? Sounds like the preacher said it might be something other than faith. Just reading between the lines there, if you're reading between the lines, good. 
Is the blessing because of faith? Is that the root? Some people would say yes, and they would say, this is as far as we can go. The buck stops at faith. That is square one of anything that might produce blessing. But the scriptures say, no, no. You can go at least one step further beyond. There's something else that stands underneath. Let me be clear now. Faith in God is essential. Faith in God is essential. Abraham must have faith. The Christian must have faith. We cannot call ourselves Christians unless we have faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If we don't have that, we are not Christians. Faith is not optional. That's the reason why the scriptures regularly emphasize and call all people to believe. You know, whosoever believes in Christ, the Son of God, will not perish but have everlasting life. And, and without faith or belief, without faith, it's impossible to please God because faith requires of us a sort of surrender that we trust in God more than we trust in ourselves. Faith is in God is a must. It is essential, but faith is not foundational in the sense that faith is not the bottom line. There is something else that stands beneath faith to uphold it, even to create it. Because faith cannot give birth to itself. Faith cannot implant itself in a heart. So we could think about it this way. If obedience is like a flower, that, that's a nice flower. It's a fluttering, I guess. If obedience is a, is a flower that blossoms off of the stem of faith, it must have the stem to have the flower. If obedience is the flower that blossoms off of the stem of faith, then faith is the stem that sprouts from the root of, well, what? That's our question. Sprouts from the root of what? This account in Genesis doesn't tell us. It makes no reference to the root. In fact, it doesn't even mention Abraham's faith or anything that might have come before. We just hear God kind of show up seemingly out of nowhere and just speak to Abraham without any sort of background or explanation, which might itself be telling. So this text doesn't tell us explicitly, but there are other texts later in the Bible that look back on this scene and scenes like it and give us a window into the root. One in particular that's helpful for our purposes is in Nehemiah chapter 9. I'll just, you don't have to turn there. I'll read a few verses. Starting in verse 6, listen for the root of blessing to Abraham. Nehemiah 9 verse 6, uh, these are the people praying to God. They say this, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of heaven, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who 
chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You are the God who chose Abraham. This is the first domino that will tip all of the others. We've asked the question, why does God bless Abram? We have an answer now. It's because God chose Abraham to be blessed. God chose Abraham before Abraham had faith in God. He chose him before Abraham obeyed God. He chose him before Abraham was in covenant with God. This is not just something that God knew about beforehand in his mind. God chose him before this. Which means that the real source of God's blessing does not come from anything within Abraham. It only comes from everything that is within God. We know that Abraham, as he is in this scene, in Genesis, doesn't yet know here, that he, before, at least before this, that he's been chosen by God. He doesn't know that until the Lord speaks to him. But God's choice has already been made in love long before that moment. God chose Abraham. God chose Abraham before Abraham left his home in Ur to follow his father. God chose Abraham before Abraham married his wife Sarai and before they came to that painful realization that they were barren and could have no children. God chose Abraham before Abraham learned to kneel before the moon gods and offer sacrifice to idols. God chose Abraham before he was a little toddler eating dusty grapes off the floor. God chose Abraham before he made that first feeble cry, being pushed out of the womb into the world. God chose Abraham before the birth of his father, and his father's father, and his great-grandfather before the birth of Shem, before the birth of Noah, before the birth of, of Eve and of Adam. God chose Abraham before the earth began to sprout forth vegetation and plants came at the very voice of God. God chose Abraham before the seas were gathered together by God, before the earth itself was formed. He chose him before the making of the highest heavens, the highest heavens above the heavens and all of their host. God chose Abraham before he even spoke the words, let there be light. And you know, that's true of you too. That's true of you too. Abraham is not the only one chosen by God for blessing. If you are one who has faith in God, 
If you are one who has the Spirit of God within him, whose blood of Jesus covers your sin, the root of all of that blessing is that you, long ago, have been chosen by God. Paul talks about this explicitly. At the beginning of Ephesians, he begins his letter with it. This is in Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to this word on chosenness. Chapter 1, verse 3. He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That is, the focus is not that we chose God. It's that God chose us before the foundation of the world before the very first sunrise peeped over the horizon and cast its light upon the earth, then already you had been chosen by God. Now, there are two implications of God's choosing that I want to address before we end. One is a caution, and one is a comfort. Let me give first a word of caution. If this is indeed true, if what God tells us about this in his word is true, there is a reality here that not all people are God's chosen ones. In the words of Jesus himself, many are called, but few are chosen. And that reality leads some people to cry foul. Unfair. Unjustice. Clearly God ought to choose everybody in the exact same way. And if we say such things, do we think that we are good backseat drivers of the universe? Do we think that we can see clearly enough peeking over God's shoulder to be able to tell him where he should go, where he should drive, and what is good? It would be the height of arrogance and ignorance to presume that we creatures of the dirt would be able to tell the omnipotent, omniscient creator what he should have done before the foundation of the world. So let me caution you, do not let yourself become so foolish as that. We recognize that there are sharp edges to these things. Real challenges 
that may press on us mentally, emotionally, weigh upon us. I've felt that too. You know, God's great purpose in his choosing his own according to his purposes, that, that holds a high degree of mystery for us, and it may lead many of us to wonder, to wrestle, to question, to agonize. All those things can be good for us, good to even do together in those things, but in the end, we know we have to humble ourselves in this, in submission to God, so that we will not become bitter or proud or think that we are a good judge of the Almighty God. I'll remind us with that, that anything that we might perceive as some sort of unfairness in God, in his choosing, anything that we perceive as unfairness always works in the direction of having given us more blessing. God always chooses more blessing than is deserved, not less. God is always better than we know, not less. So don't, don't even flirt with the deadly sin of thinking that you know what is good better than God does. That's the caution. Let me end with a word of comfort. If you're a Christian, have you ever wondered why you came to believe in Jesus? Why do I believe in Jesus? Different people have different stories or backgrounds about this. Maybe one day, you know, it just seemed like a light bulb just kind of popped on in your head and you went, yeah, that's true. <laughs> for, for some other people, the maybe describe their experience as being more like a treasure hunt of life. There were a trail of breadcrumbs that went through pits and over valleys and all these things, and then one day, just kind of look at where I am. I look back on it all, and I go, I, I don't know where, but somehow I've come to believe. And there are others that maybe have, have just had faith in God as long as they remember. They don't remember ever having not loved Jesus. Whatever your experience might look like, those or others, we know that whatever it is, your faith, that faith doesn't come out of the blue. It's not from something within you either. That faith is from God who has chosen you for his own. So even if it feels like the faith gets shaky, maybe start to doubt, wonder, question if I ever really believed. You know, you don't need to panic or let your mind get sucked into a pool of anxiety about that. We can rest knowing that the foundation of God's blessing to us is not a faith that we can muster up for ourselves. 
the foundation of God's blessing is God himself, is Christ the founder and perfecter of your faith, is Christ who said to his disciples, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And that will help us to lift our eyes off of ourselves, off of what may seem like a house of cards, and set our eyes back on God, the one who has chosen us for his treasured possession. Pray with me. Oh Lord, you are always good. You have forever been good and you forever will be. You are faithful to your covenant. You are the one who strengthens faith. You are the one who renews our obedience. That you are the one that stands beneath us in some way as our solid ground. We stand sure with the knowledge that we are part of your chosen people. Thank you for this grace to make us your chosen ones. And would you help us to display your glory with all thankfulness. We ask this in Jesus' name.